I'm getting a little feedback here, TJ. I don't know what it is. It's coming at me. Thank you. Um, you know, I'm going to pray for an anointing of joy because what we're going to look at now getting into this letter is called the letter of joy. Now, how many of you would take a little bit more joy if you could? Well, guess what? You can. You can. And you know what? You're going to. This is the letter of joy, four chapters of joy. It's all about joy. I mean, it, the primary theme is joy. And I'm going to show you tonight how the Apostle Paul laid hold of joy. And uh, so we're going to learn about that. It's going to be a great, great series. And I want to encourage you, read ahead. Matter of fact, in your devotional, just go to Philippians and start reading through it as we study this so that when I share it with you uh, from up here, it's not fresh news to you. But you've already read it. So let's, let's pray together and before we get into the joyful letter. Father, we just thank you that joy is ours in Jesus that you put within us the spirit of liberty and the spirit of joy. And I pray, Lord, that the, an anointing of joy, that the, the ability to lay hold of it by faith that is found in this letter will be ours, that you will give us wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Lord, enhance our joy, increase our joy, maximize our joy in Jesus. Now I'm going to ask you, Put your hand right over your heart, and I want you to say, Lord, put joy in my heart. Give me laughter in the Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Look at your neighbor and say, ah, ha, ha, ha. All right. All right, let's, uh, let's go ahead and turn to it there. Oh, I've got my little dealie here. Praise God. I'm getting used to it. Let me talk to you about the book of Philippians. And again, I want to encourage you, read ahead, read through it. You might as well. We're going to be going through it. And let's just saturate our minds with this, uh, this letter. Um, I'm calling it the joyful letter. And it's found, uh, the, the, let me just talk to you a little bit about how this came about and, and um, the Philippian church came about because it really was miraculous. It was very powerful. Founded by Paul on his second missionary journey. The Philippian church was the first church to be established by him in Europe. Philippi was a small city founded by the father of Alexander the Great, King Philip of Macedonia in 42 B.C. So the city of Philippi was founded in 42 years before Christ came. Now Paul's relationship with this church was always close. He was close to these folks. The Philippians helped him at least twice financially before the letter was written. They gave him money, and they also gave him a gift. On hearing that Paul was imprisoned, they sent Epaphroditus with another gift. They sent it to him in prison. Now, Philippians is a thank you letter for that gift. And it's the most personal letter Paul wrote to a church. You can feel he knows these people personally. You know that he's talked to them, spent time with them. He was there in person. He founded the church. The letter to the Philippians was delivered by Epaphroditus following an illness that almost took his life. What you'll find is that Paul is thanking God in one place, saying, thank God Epaphroditus was sick almost nigh to death for his service towards you. And he's thankful that Though he was sick nigh unto death, he didn't die. He said, God had mercy on my soul and didn't give me a burden on top of a bunch of other burdens, 
by letting him die. So I'm going to tell you what I see with that. And this is a little aside, but here's the deal. Sometimes Paul saw miraculous healings, and sometimes even very sick people around him had to walk through that sickness just like other people. In other words, sometimes they were healed and sometimes they weren't. Well, pastor, why don't you build my faith? I am building your faith. I'm showing you that here was one of his dear fellow workers, but he wasn't miraculously healed. He went through the sickness, came out on the other side, and Paul considered it merciful that he hadn't died. Among the problems Paul deals with in this letter are rivalries and personal ambition. Everybody say, in the church? That's, that's a joke, son. I'm so glad the Bible tells the truth about church, folks. Because here there were rivalries, personal ambitions, the teaching of the Judaizers, uh, perfectionism, and the influence of greasy grace teachers. Now, that's my little phrase. And what's a greasy grace teacher? Uh, they taught you that you didn't need to live a moral life since you were under grace. Uh, they might have said something like this to you. Hey, do whatever you want. To the pure, all things are pure. And they were, they were um, false teachers, greasy grace teachers, what I call them. You don't have to live a life as long as you're under grace, but you do have to live a moral life. As a matter of fact, God empowers you to live one by the power of His Spirit. Amen? Paul was imprisoned in Rome when this letter was written. And that's one of the amazing things about it. He writes this letter to the Philippians. It's called the Joyful Letter, but he wrote it from, from prison. Now, I dug up a couple of pictures uh, from, of these prisons, what it might have looked like, and let's just look at one of them. <laughs> that, see, it always pays to come to church. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. That was our coffee bar, not a prison. For those of you listening by radio, it showed my upcoming coffee bar. That wasn't the prison. What you have right here, let me just try this. Uh, There it is. What you have right there is you have just an old hinge on a prison door right there. And that would be the prison door. Very grim. Here's another picture of something that uh, they might be very uh, similar to what they put Paul in. It was really like a hole in the wall or like a cave. And here's the apostle to the Gentiles, this highly learned, highly uh, respected master teacher, brilliant man who gave everything up for Jesus and said, I count it but rubbish that I might gain Christ. He was high up uh, among the scholars of his day, yet he walked away, ended up being put in places like this to preach Jesus Christ. He paid a price. I know this one's kind of dark, but uh, it's just another example. Um, Just a really grim kind of cave-looking thing. Of course, that wasn't there. They put that there since... Uh, somebody like Paul was in the prison uh, centuries ago, but it was, just like a, it was just like a tomb. And there he stayed. 
Now, the letter may be broken down into five parts. And let me give you those parts. Greetings and expressions of gratitude. Paul's personal circumstances. He's going to be real honest with us about it. He's going to tell us what it's like in prison. And he's going to tell us that even people who claim to be Christians are trying to make it harder on him while he's in prison. Then the third uh, part of this book is the pattern of the Christian life, which is the humility of Jesus. Uh, he's going to go into talking about the humility of Jesus in a way that is so powerful. He's going to tell us some things about Jesus that let us know Jesus was not just a normal man. He was God wrapped in flesh. He was not just a good teacher. Jesus was very God, all God, all man. He's going to go into some of that in this book, and it's very, very powerful. The fourth uh, part of the book is the prize of the Christian life. And what is the prize of the Christian life? The knowledge of Jesus. The knowledge of Jesus. And then the fifth thing, the peace of the Christian life, which is the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you want the presence of the Lord in your life? Oh, I do too. So let's get right into it now. A quick history. The Philippian church was born following the Spirit of God, forbidding Paul and Silas from preaching in Asia. You remember that? They, were, they, they left on the second missionary journey, went to Asia. They were about to preach. And of all things, the Holy Spirit forbade them and did not let them preach. Which goes to show you that even when you're doing a right thing, it needs to come under the guidance of the Spirit of God. Even when you're doing a right thing. And so they're perplexed. Twice they tried preaching in different places and the Spirit of God forbade them. So Paul's perplexed. Well, what in the world are we on a missionary journey for? I can't preach. And one night he had a dream. He had a vision of a man begging him to come and help them in Macedonia. And he woke up. And the Bible says he immediately decided to go there and they took off. And on arriving there, the following account is what took place. It's a little bit lengthy, but it's out of the Message Bible. And I'll tell you, it's a faith builder because it was powerful. So after missing God twice, they finally got where they needed to go, where they'd had the vision. And here's what it says, putting out from the harbor at Troas, we made a straight run from, tell me what you think this says, Samothrace, I'm going to try Samothrace, you know what, it doesn't matter. But they made a straight run for Samothrace, the next day we tied up at New City and walked from there to Philippi, the main city in that part of Macedonia, and even more importantly, a Roman colony. We lingered there for several days. Now, they're, they're finding their way in what God was leading them to do. They're on a mission, and they're trying to sense the leading of the Spirit. And it says, On the Sabbath, we left the city, went down along the river, where we had heard there was to be a prayer meeting. We took our place with the women who had gathered there, and we began talking with them. One woman named Lydia was from Thyatira and a dealer in expensive textiles known to be a God-fearing woman. As she listened with intensity to what was being said, the Master Jesus gave her a trusting heart and she believed. After she was baptized along with everybody in her household, everybody say with me, with everybody in her household, because that's real important, she said in a surge of hospitality, 
She said, if you're confident that I'm in this with you and believe in the master truly, come home with me and be my guests. We hesitated, but she wouldn't take no for an answer. One day on our way to the place of prayer, a slave girl ran into us. She was a psychic and with her fortune telling made a lot of money for the people who owned her. They were making money off of a demon spirit. She started following Paul around, calling everybody's attention to us, and that was what she was doing wrong. She wasn't pointing to Jesus that they preached. She was pointing to them. And here's what she was yelling out. These men are working for the Most High God. They're laying out the road of salvation for you. But what she was doing wrong was promoting men and not promoting the Lord. She did this for a number of days until Paul finally fed up with her turned and commanded the spirit that possessed her out in the name of Jesus Christ. Get out of her. And it was gone. Just like that. When her owners saw that their lucrative little business was suddenly bankrupt, they went after Paul and Silas, roughed them up, and dragged them into the market square. They didn't care they were making money off a demon. And you think people today are bothered they're making money off of devils? When they saw the demon came out and she wasn't psychic anymore, they took him, they beat him, dragged him into the market square. Then the police arrested them and pulled them into a court with the accusation, these men are disturbing the peace, dangerous Jewish agitators subverting our Roman law and order. Hmm. By this time, the crowd had turned into a restless mob out for blood. And all they did was deliver a girl from a demon. And this place is out for blood. The judges went along with the mob, had Paul and Silas's uh, clothes ripped off and ordered a public beating. Can you imagine this? After beating them black and blue, they threw them into jail, telling the jailkeeper to put them under heavy guard so there would be no chance of escape. He did just that, threw them in the maximum, uh, maximum security uh, cell in the jail and clamped leg irons on them. But along about midnight, Paul and Silas were at prayer and singing a robust hymn to God. Isn't that beautiful? I tell you, I could just read the Bible tonight, just go on home. Just read the Bible because this is so beautiful. Here they are in shackles. They're black and blue for just delivering somebody. And they decided to sing in the midnight hour. And the other prisoners couldn't believe their ears. Then, without warning, a huge earthquake. The jailhouse tottered. Every door flew open. All the prisoners were loose. Startled from sleep, the jailer saw all the doors swinging loose on their hinges. Can you imagine that? He goes to sleep. Everybody's locked up in leg irons. He wakes up. There's been an earthquake. All of the doors are swinging on their hinges and nobody's in there. Powerful. Assuming that all the prisoners had escaped, he pulled out his sword and was about to do himself in, figuring he was as good as dead anyway when Paul stopped him. Don't do that. We're all still here. Nobody's run away. The jailer got a torch and ran inside, badly shaken. He collapsed in front of Paul and Silas. 
he led them out of the jail and asked, Sirs, what do I have to do to be saved? To really live. They said, read it with me, everybody. Put your entire trust in the Master Jesus. You notice he didn't say, Don't go hug a tree. He didn't say, well, just, just mean well. He didn't say, well, pick your God. He said, you're going to have to put your trust in the Master Jesus. Then you'll live as you were meant to live. And everyone in your house included. And that was a prophecy. Because so far, the jailer was the only one saved in his household. Look what happened. They went on to spell out in detail the story of the Master the entire family got in on this part. They never did get to bed that night. The jailer made them feel at home. This is the guy that had them shackled just hours before. He dressed their wounds, and then he couldn't wait till morning and was baptized. He and everybody in his family, there in his home, he had food set out for a festive meal. It was a night to remember. He and his entire family had put their trust in God. Everyone in the house was in on the celebration. Everybody give the Lord praise. That's a powerful story. Amen. Boy, I love that. So let me just give you some PowerPoints from this little story because this is how the Philippian church was born. Two entire families, Lydia's and the jailers, were brought to Christ in the move of the Spirit. Here's what I contend. When you get saved, your family's probably doomed for the same fate. I'm saying that with a smile. Uh, it makes it way harder on your family members to not get saved, even though it takes years. These two families were brought to Jesus in the move of the Spirit. Here's the second PowerPoint. The Philippian church was birthed in the seedbed of these two families' conversions. Two families being saved gave birth to the church this letter we're reading was sent to. Here's the principle. Much of what God does begins as a small seed that flourishes. There's a verse that says, despise not the day of small beginnings. Most of what God, even Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The smallest of seeds, yet when it grows, it turns into one of the greatest of trees. Much of what God does begins as a small seed. And this Philippian church started that way. Two families, an earthquake, what looked like a terrible situation. Locked in jail for setting somebody free. And it ended up turning into a great church. Amen. Oops, I went too far. How can I go back, Jeff? Ah, I figured it out on my own. <laughs> Around 11 years later, about 11 years later, Paul writes to them from prison, and he's awaiting the verdict of the imperial court. 11 years later, he may soon be martyred, yet in light of these grim circumstances, here's the tenor of his letter. I rejoice, now you rejoice. Can everybody say that with me? I rejoice, now you rejoice. Here he is. He was whipped, thrown in jail, shackled in his legs before the church even started, he gave God the praise. The earthquake came, set him free. The church was born. Now, 11 years later, he's in jail again. And he may be about to be martyred. But can you get a hold of this with me, church? 
Stop a minute. I'm not giving you a sermon. Think with me a minute. Here's the victory of Christianity, real Christianity. This apostle sitting in jail, sitting in prison, writing a church 11 years after he birthed it, he may be martyred soon, writes to them and says, I am filled with joy. I'm filled with joy. Well, where in the world did he get it? Philippians' message, the book of Philippians, is a message of supernatural rejoicing in the presence of super difficult circumstances. That's what it is. Supernatural rejoicing in the presence of super difficult circumstances. It's the letter of joy. Paul begins by giving us the keys to this kind of joy in tough times. And let's go through these keys quickly. Here's the first one. Say it with me, he was thankful. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to tell you right up front. Let me just save you a lot of time and trouble and money. You're never going to have joy unless you're thankful. It isn't going to happen. If you're not a thankful person, you're never going to tap into the joy of the Lord. It's got to come first. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Be thankful. In everything, give thanks. Not for everything, but in everything, give thanks, for this is God's will. You will never have joy without thanksgiving. Look what Paul wrote. He said, every, to these Philippians, he said, every time you cross my mind, I break out in exclamations of thanks to God for you. Every time I think about you, I thank God for you. That is powerful. No matter what he encountered, Paul had learned to fix his thoughts on the positive. Always the positive. Now I'm going to read to you a verse that I quote to myself probably more often than any single verse in the Bible. It's this one. He wrote this later in Philippians chapter 4. He says, summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst. I quote it to myself this way, whatever is true, honest, just, pure, lovely, and of good report, if there be any virtue and any praise, think about it. Because you're going to fill your mind with something. I guarantee you, and if you don't choose to fill your mind, somebody's going to fill it for you. That's good preaching right there. I promise you, if you don't fill your mind with what is true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report, virtuous, praiseworthy, if you don't fill your mind with that stuff, the good things, somebody's going to fill your mind for you. The best, don't meditate on the worst. Find the best and think about it. Think about it. I should have called this tonight. Think about it. Think about it. What do you think about all day long? Some people think about offenses all day long. Some people think about past hurts all day long. Some people think about, oh, what am I gonna, how am I going to pay the bills? What am I going to do about this pain I've been having lately? 
What's going to happen with this job? What's going to happen with it? And they worry or they fear or they doubt or they have unbelief. Paul said, I grab hold of my thoughts. My thoughts don't rule me. I rule them. I choose what goes in my brain. I wash my brain. I'm brainwashed. And I'm going to tell you tonight, I'm brainwashed. I washed my brain today. I washed my brain last night. I wash my brain all the time. I'm brainwashed. But it's a good brainwashing. It's your choice. He says, the beautiful, not the ugly. Things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice what you learned from me. That's what we're doing tonight. We're learning tonight from who I call the attitude king. Paul is the king of positive, victorious attitude. He says, here's how I have joy. I choose what I think about. I'm thankful. I'm thankful. Put into practice what you learned from me, what you heard and saw and realized. Do that. And God, read this with me, everybody. God who makes everything work together will work you into his most excellent peace. Now, you can hear this and walk out and say, good message, Pastor, and never do it. Or you can take what I'm giving you tonight and do it, and God will work into you his most excellent peace. Here's the second thing. He prayed. He wasn't just thankful. But here's how Paul had joy. He was thankful and he prayed at all times. Look what he said to them again. Let me, I'm reading what he wrote to the Philippians. Quote, Every time you cross my mind, I break out in exclamations of thanks to God. And each exclamation is a trigger to prayer. Prayer triggers prayer triggers. He said, I'm thankful to God. And as soon as I start thanking God, I feel like praying. You know why we don't feel like praying? Because we get into the flesh and we get out of the spirit and prayer just doesn't appeal to us. But you know what's going to happen when you start thanking God? It says he inhabits the praise and the thanks of his people. And as soon as that anointing begins to come upon you because you're a child of God and you're thanking him, you're going to feel a motivation to pray. He said, when I thank God for you, it's like a prayer trigger. That's good stuff. I find myself praying for you, he said in verse 4. I find myself praying for you with a glad heart. This is the letter to the Philippians. We're talking about Paul, the apostle of joy, and the joyful letter, and how Paul experience the continual joy of the Lord. He said, I'm thankful and I pray. When I'm thankful, it's like a prayer trigger. So if you want to increase your prayer life, just start thanking God. Just thank God. So well, I don't have anything to thank him for. Well, that shows me right there, you need to thank God. <laughs> and if you don't have anything else to thank him for, thank him that you're saved. You're saved. You can start there. Thank you that I'm saved, Lord. I can't think of much else, but thank you that I'm saved. You start right there and you can dig out of that hole. I think it was Will Rogers who said, when you find yourself in a hole, first thing you do is quit digging. (laughs) 
And how do you quit digging? Just say, ah, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And then you're going to have a prayer trigger. Ooh, I feel like praying now. Hallelujah. Thanking God is a prayer trigger. Now, notice he's not just praying for himself, but he's praying for others. A great prayer life that focuses on more than we for and no more. Paul's prayer life was so set in cement that nothing, not even prison, not even the specter of martyrdom, jarred it. All right, third thing he did, he chose joy. I want you to say with me, he chose joy. Now, now in our culture, we put a premium on emotions. And we really, we really put a non-premium on logic. This is an emotion-driven culture. Everybody's offended. Everybody's upset. Everybody's emotional. Paul chose joy. I'm going to tell you the truth. Look what he said in verse 4. He said, In every prayer of mine, I always make my entreaty and petition for you all with joy, delight. That means he chose joy. Now, watch this. The joy that Paul experienced was not an emotion that overwhelmed him. It was a choice of his will. I want you to say with me, joy is a choice. You make the choice to joy. If you sit around and you wait for something to make you joyful, you're living in the Western concept of happiness and not the Bible concept of joy. Now watch this. Happiness comes from a Latin word that means happening. And here's the way we have been taught about happiness in the West. We have been taught when something externally happens to make me happy, then I experience happiness. So if I get a new car, a raise at work, if I get a new house, if something externally out here happens, then it makes me happy. I need a happening to make me happy. That is so contrary to the Bible. Because joy is not happiness. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And joy is not dependent on a happening for you to experience it. Come on, everybody. This is a real key. I can't tell you how often I do this in my own life. I can't tell you that joy doesn't come up to me, put me in a headlock and say, have joy. <laughs> I have to say, I make the choice to rejoice. I make the choice to rejoice. And even though circumstances are not ideal, they never will be. Rarely will they ever be ideal. And if you're sitting around waiting for a happening to make you happy, you're not going to be happy very often. But if you learn the key that Paul had hold of, and it was this, I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going to choose joy. Look at what he said. He's, here's what Paul wrote in verse 18. He said, I rejoice. Now read the next part with me, will you? And I will continue to rejoice. Do you hear his will in there? He said, he didn't say, I rejoice. And next good thing that happens to me, I'm going to rejoice again. It's not what he said. He said, I will continue to rejoice. Y'all are quiet tonight. 
What did David say? David the psalmist echoed the same sentiment. This is the day the Lord has made. Read it with me. I will rejoice. Preach to me. And be glad in it. I will. You know how much joy you've got right now? As much as you've decided to have. Because you've got in you the Holy Ghost. You have within you the Holy Spirit. You are a child of God. The kingdom of God lives within you. And what is the kingdom of God? Righteousness peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. That's what it is. And so, here's the deal. Since the kingdom of God that lives within us is characterized by righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, then we ought to be experiencing joy regularly. How are you going to do it? I thank the Lord. That thanksgiving turns into a prayer trigger. So I pray. And as I pray and thank the Lord, I also choose to rejoice in my God. I can praise Him at any time. This is the day the Lord has made. If it's raining, He made it. If it's cold, He made it. If it's 110 out there, He made it. This summer I caught myself. It was so hot. And I hate summers in Texas. I mean, and they've gotten worse. I think, or I've gotten older, probably both, but I just don't like them. And I was walking out in this heat and I started complaining. I said, man, it's hot. I said, it's, it's too hot. This is miserable. And the Holy Spirit caught me. Have you ever noticed how the Holy Spirit can ruin a good moment? (laughs) Have you ever noticed that? He can ruin a good moment. And he said, Jeff, have you forgotten? This is the day the Lord has made. You could be dead. You could be sick. You, you could be, it could get a whole lot worse than this heat. And I said, I, I'm sorry, Lord. This is the day the Lord has, praise God, praise God, praise God. And, I, and, and so I learned that there are triggers. There's triggers. And you don't have to pull them. But if you want joy, if you want peace, if you want to grow spiritually, if you want to grow up, then you learn these triggers. Thanksgiving is a prayer trigger. Thanksgiving and prayer are joy triggers. And praising God is a joy trigger. And so I can choose. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. How often did he say to rejoice in the Lord? Always. I'm about to preach. Always, and it doesn't depend on a happening. The bottom line is we've got about as much joy as we choose to have. Now, here's the last thing. He kept hope alive. He was thankful. He prayed. He chose joy, and he kept hope alive. Look what he said in verse 6, one of my favorite verses, Philippians 1, 6. Everybody ought to know this one. I am confident of this very thing. He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Isn't that just a great verse? He he started it. He's going to finish it. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. All right? That is a verse of hope. No matter what you're going through, no matter what life has thrown at you, 
no matter how negative or difficult the circumstances may be. God's still working out His plan. Paul was confident that nothing hell or the world could throw at him would stop God's work. He knew that. He possessed, and here's the definition, Bible definition of hope, a confident expectation of God's victory in regard to the future. That's hope. It may be dark, but joy comes in the morning. God's in charge. God is in charge. Good stuff. So here's the summary. Let's stand together and we're going to summarize this together. This is the beginning of the joyful letter. The apostle of joy maintained his joy, and I want you to read this with me, would you? He maintained his joy by thanksgiving, prayer, choosing joy, and hope. Where are you in your Christian life tonight? Are you experiencing joy a lot? Sometimes? Rarely? Is it like Christmas? It comes so rarely that it's a great big deal when you have a little bit of joy. Can I tell you that God's will for you is that you walk in joy? And that it won't require a happening. You have within you the capacity to stir up the Spirit of God and walk in joy. And so I want to encourage you to do it. Do it tomorrow. If you start, if you catch yourself, well, I'll let it slip. Then just stop right there and say, Lord, forgive me. I'm going to thank you. I pray about this. I'm going to release those triggers, the prayer trigger, the joy trigger. I'm going to get my eyes in the Word and keep hope alive. Father, we just thank you for the joyful letter. We thank you that, Lord, out of terrible persecution and trial, this Philippian church was born. And we thank you, Lord, that we have this witness and testimony from the great apostle that even in prison for doing what was right, he was able to maintain great joy. And so, Lord, we pray, help us to walk in this, to grow in our faith, to experience your peace and to learn to release those triggers. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Now, will you breathe a prayer? Just say, Lord, I'm going to do what I learned tonight. I'm going to walk in joy. I'm going to pull those triggers that release joy. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.